Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Here we are. Bleachers are open and they are all open and they're all open at the same time. That's probably the biggest thing right now is because summertime for a ball player is usually stacked with game to game wall-to-wall baseball, you're traveling, you're either in a bus, you're on a plane, uh, you're trying to, to continue to maintain friendships throughout the course of a season with 24 other guys that you just got slammed into a room with together, and uh, you don't get to pick your own friends. But when you retire from the game of baseball and you, you, you move back into the GP, as we like to call it, you get a chance to pick your own friends and you get a chance to pick your own vacations. And that's probably the biggest thing. And that, the reason I bring that up is because the last couple of co- uh, podcasts have been a little disjointed. We had a great interview with Ben Verlander and I implore all of you, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, listen to it because Ben is a little more on the, the current side of, of major league baseball with the bat flips and things like that. Uh, and he talked a little bit about that. We ragged on some umpires. We talked about his his brother going for the American League Cy Young. So make sure you go back and listen to that podcast. And of course, you had a chance to hear Tuttle's voice that podcast. But the following podcast, you, you got sick and tired of me because Tuttle was on vacation. And that's what ballplayers do. Once they get their summers back, they got to make up for lost time. And Tuttle, being a great family guy, was able to take his family to Hawaii. He is back. And if you're watching this on our YouTube channel, at Bleacher Blums on YouTube, you get a chance to see that beautiful face again. It looks like you took an opportunity to either wear the big bucket hat or put on the sunblock. You're very... uh, You're very cognizant of the fact that uh, you and I both have very fair skin, I believe, but you look good. How you feeling? What's going on with Tuttle? Welcome back to the bleachers, man. Blummer, thanks, buddy. Uh, Yeah, my voice is here to stay, I guess. Um, You know, you were mentioning the tan thing. No, I'm really good at covering up and wearing sunblock. I think I learned that in our old profession as well. (laughs) Um, But uh, this is about as tan as I get in Hawaii. I mean, I guess I I feel pretty tan, but... I'm doing well, other than I caught uh, COVID on the plane on the way back. But uh, otherwise, uh, otherwise I'm good. So uh, I, I, you, you hit the nail on the head, by the way. And it's great to be back with you. Um, you know, we get to choose our own vacations now, and you know, who knew this podcast would uh, take off the way it has? But uh, that was the one thing on vacation. I'm like, oh, I got to figure out a way to, to you know, do the podcast or get you know, get some information out there. So uh, it, it was great to be on vacation for a little bit. And I'm happy to be back. So uh, you had a couple of days off as well. So you don't always get to choose your vacation, but uh, now you did get to ch- get Father's Day off and kind of pick and choose some of your days off. So um, tell me about that. Did you enjoy your last few days off? And what was it like doing a podcast by yourself? Because uh, I, I have some thoughts on that as well. Talking to uh, just talking to the camera is a different animal. And uh, I thought we'd talk about some of the logistics around that too. Yeah, so we led into the homestand. It was really interesting because we had a Thursday day off. The month of June is great for the Houston Astros. They've got every Thursday, I think, off in the month of June. So we came back on a Wednesday evening, Thursday day off, Friday Apple game, Saturday I get to work, Sunday is a Sunday night baseball game, Monday's a day off. So yeah, I'm more than rested up and fired up for for baseball that's coming. And it's kind of unique the time that uh, these days off actually came because it it was one game against the Chicago White Sox. So I completely avoided all the 05, Blum loves the White Sox, all this kind of stuff. So I (laughs) avoided all that. But it's it's good to get the rest because this week is going to be one of the more interesting weeks for the Houston Astros. They've got nine games against the New York teams. They've got four against, or eight games. They've got four against the New York Mets, which will be two at home, and then they go on the road for four against the New York Yankees in Yankee Stadium, a day off, and then two more games against the New York Mets in City Field. That means this next road trip I go on with the team will be an entire week in the city of New York. So that is going to be absolutely incredible. I'm sure it's going to lend itself to a lot of podcast topics, stuff that I'm seeing, stuff that I'm hearing, and how... uh, you know, going into Yankee Stadium is always interesting as it is. And then you add that extra layer of rivalry that's been created with the Astros and Yankees. And then, of course, the scandal of 2017 is going to be mixed in there. So it'll be, it'll be fascinating. And my family's coming up to New York. So I'm sure there'll be plenty of content. But, uh, you know, one thing I am going to take on the road with me, Tuttle, is a razor. 
Oh, because I have to go on TV and I got to clean my mess up, dude. What's going on with you? Did you just quit on vacation? Because I have a tendency to go on vacation to do the same exact thing that I think you did, which is just like shut it down, embrace the, yep. the nothingness and go with it. Yeah, so for sure. I, I, that's exactly <laughs> what I do on vacation. I think th there's a couple things you have to do on vacation to remind yourself that you're on vacation. One is, you know, maybe leave the razor in the bag longer than you would normally. <laughs> like, do I have to shave today? No, I do not. Nope. And then typically have a drink before. It doesn't have to be before like 9 a.m., but usually about 11 a.m. Like you got to have a drink by noon for sure. Mm. Having drinks with lunch. Those are the two vacation tricks, right? You're like, all right, hey, it's 11 a.m. Might as well have a beer. I'm on vacation. So no razor, a couple earlier drinks. And uh, I think that's always the best way to to at least remind yourself or shock the system into the fact that, hey, you don't have to get up every day and get go to work. So you mentioned the uh, road trip to New York. I'm glad you're taking your family. That'll be some good sights to see. But, uh, but uh, we'll get into this. I know what's on tap with St. Arnold, but um, talking about the Yankees series, um, we're going to talk about little PGA versus live golf, which has been a hot topic lately. Show um, me the money. That's right. Maybe I'll have a, a, a couple quick thoughts on the immaculate inning. And, uh, you know, I, I think the main thing about, you know, in the, I guess it's a little teaser who's hot, who's not, but man, I just saw the Yankees were the first team to 50 wins. So I think there's a pretty, uh, pretty good, um, bet that they're going to be coming up in the, um, podcast at a at a later time anyway so um that's what i have i don't remember what oh we also have lead off lyrics you know i, I get lead oh, off hey. lyrics and what's on tap mixed up so um <laughs> why don't we it's it's what's coming folks uh let me look at uh who guessed our uh our songs last time so i had uh there's a couple we have a couple of shout outs because there were two people that were listening intently um, my song I thought was easy. I guess when we do a song, I always feel like it's easy. So um, Amanda Brown at Amanda S. Brown uh, guest lead-off lyrics, which were Old Dominion song for another time, and, which you definitely hinted and hinted and hinted going down yes. the countryside. And then uh, do that. my song, you know, being in Hawaii, my song was the uh, island song from the Zach Brown band. And Amanda Brown gets a shout out. She guessed them both, and they're two of her favorite songs. So there you go. We got some listeners who enjoy uh, the same thank type of music we in. do. We always appreciate that. Yeah, thank you, Amanda. And Susie also chimed in also. So we appreciate everybody. And again, lead off lyrics. If you want to play the game, you can play the game. Uh, it's it's fun for Tuttle and I. I'm kind of enjoying it, to be honest with you. But it's also you know trying to find songs that uh, we can relate to and kind of break down and have some fun as we quote those uh, those lyrics and people guess it. So make sure you follow at Bleacher Blums, both on Instagram and on uh, Twitter to, to be able to guess that and you'll get a shout out on this podcast. Tuttle, are you, are you ready for this? Are you locked and loaded? Oh, I'm ready. I got, I oh, had dude, stuff this guy came up. back from vacation supercharged, man. I did. I have a list. I don't know if I'm caffeinated or supercharged. I mentioned the COVID things got me down, but I have a lead off lyrics for you. Do you want me to start with my lead off lyrics? Yeah, bring it, bro. All right, here we go. No hints today. Yeah, we're going hintless. Oh, hintless. Ooh, that sounds <laughs> like a, a baseball thing, a good pitcher thing. Say, <laughs> sounds good to you, not to me. Yeah, there you go. Oh, let the sun beat down upon my face and stars fill my dream. I'm a traveler of both time and space to be where I have been. To sit with elders of the gentle race this world has seldom seen. They talk of days for which they sit and wait. All will be revealed. Mm. I think you know that one. Mm. First line's a pretty... Yeah, I kind of feel it. I can feel it. There you go. All right, so that's my lead-off lyrics. Blummer, what do you got? All right. Mine's going to be super easy this week. To my mother, to my father, it's your son, it's your daughter. Are my screams loud enough for you to hear me? Should I turn this up? I sit here, locked inside my head, remembering everything you've said. The silence gets us nowhere, gets us nowhere way too fast. Oof. I can feel the angst bubbling up and from my innards as I read those lyrics. But yeah, if you know those lyrics, make sure you get to at Bleacher Blums. 
tell us who who wrote the song and tell us what the name of the song is and we will shout you out in the next podcast but that being said and as fun as that is why had the chance to call something that has never ever happened in major league baseball last uh last time we were in texas and having played in about 1500 games and having called close to a probably probably the same amount almost it's probably close to a thousand games yeah, you're old. I've never seen this, and I don't know if you have ever seen this, but it has never happened in Major League Baseball. The immaculate inning happened not just once, but twice. I want to know you, Tuttle, as a pitcher, have you ever done it? Have you ever seen it? What do you think about it? And how about having it happen twice in the same game? And I will just leave the floor yours because you're a pitcher, and the only one that can have those immaculate innings are the pitchers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so never done it. I was trying to think when we were discussing, you know, what we were going to say, I I'm sure I had a 10 or 11 pitch inning. And I also know I've struck out, you know, three guys in an inning. So I think it's, I, you know, I mean, at younger ages, right. You got to think I didn't pitch till I got to college though. So that was part of the challenge. Not really. I mean, I pitched a little bit in American Legion or something, but no, I have not done it. And I do, I think it's a weird thing. It doesn't, maybe you can uh, chime in at the end, but uh, obviously seeing something that's never been done is incredible. Obviously having the opportunity for you to call it sounded like it was a, you guys, the, the enthusiasm and the excitement that you guys had is genuine because you're like, Oh my God, we've never seen this before. Also the fact that it was your team that did it, you know, so many things there. That definitely helps working on your behalf, but yeah, but luck is the luck is the wrong word but i mean stars have to align it's got to be a, a an ideal situation wouldn't you, you think know, I, I mean yeah just to throw one immaculate inning which yeah. is like all right it's oh two yeah. and you miss your spot and the guy swings and misses and you're like oh okay you know i threw that one right down the middle i was supposed to i was supposed to waste a pitch there because typically they don't want you to throw it close now if you paint it's one thing and i did watch the innings so um you know, I mean, Maton's inning, like they chased a good pitch. So, I mean, you, yeah. So, so those are, those are, like you said, the stars have to align. So, anyway, the fact that it happened once in a game and you guys are like, oh, this is crazy, you know, nine pitches. But the second time you could hear the enthusiasm and you could realize what, <laughs> what was happening. And that's one of those things that as a broadcaster, we've always talked about no jinxes. But, you know, as he throws seven pitches, seven strikes, eight pitches, eight strikes, what are you saying as he goes along, right? Because Dude, I'm losing my mind. Yeah. You're like, is this going to happen again? But you don't want to put the pressure on the, the moment. So it's kind of one of those weird things but uh i was just gonna say as a pitcher it's incredible it's an incredible accomplishment doesn't matter whether you're in little league or uh summer ball or minor leagues or major leagues it's an incredible accomplishment and the fact that it happened twice in one inning i mean or excuse me twice in one game where i don't think we'll see it again i mean it took how many games of major league baseball for it to happen <laughs> you know since 1900 <laughs> to now and, yeah. and it's a rare occurrence anyway and i'm sure you looked up the statistics but i mean an immaculate inning happens once every 10 years. And it's happened several times. Obviously, the game now with better pitching and the swing and miss, a real part of the game, you're probably going to see it a little more frequently. Um, but I actually, I was reminded of a question because you're right. You know, the enthusiasm for me is, you know, the first immaculate inning that Luis Garcia threw, I was kind of talking over it in a random subject about relacing gloves. And TK just kind of pointed to me and said, just keep going. And I was just like, well, he just struck out that guy. He just struck out that guy. And by the time we got to the third guy, we both kind of like, I just pulled back and I was like, dude, he's going to punch this guy out on three pitches and it's going to be immaculate. And I got to let TK talk, you know, so we, that happened. And then we're kind of sitting there for Maton's inning, looking at each other going, bro, this is happening again to the same three yeah. guys. What the hell's going on? So we, we really enjoyed that, but we, I kind of pulled back and I want to ask you as a pitcher. When you're when you're realizing you're doing something that is as rare as a no hitter, a perfect game, an immaculate inning, at what point do you recognize what you're doing, and how does that affect you? That's yeah, a great question, especially to somebody who's never thrown an immaculate inning before. But <clears throat> I will just say, and I'm sure, like, how would you react? Yeah, I'm sure you can relate to this, though. I think there's there's a weird balance, uh, almost like a seesaw, where. You're going out there to do your job, and you're taking it one pitch at a time. The old cliches are true, right? You're like, all right, I'm focused today, 
And then, you know, you might have a good inning, maybe a second good inning or a third good inning. And you're like, oh, I feel good today. All my stuff's working. Like you're, you're just focused on the moment. You really are. And this is the only way, in my opinion, to be successful. I mean, if you're trying to make 10 out of 10 free throws and you're standing at the free throw line and you miss the third one, it's all over, right? You kind of have to focus one at a time. And I think maybe later on in the game, when you get past the moment of, especially in the modern game of baseball, where they don't expect the starter to go past the seventh inning anyway, you know, unless you're a superstar, that if you're seventh inning and you're smooth in the seventh inning and you go back out there for the eighth, you're like, hey, I got some good stuff going on today. Like I'm, I'm feeling it. You know what I mean? You're not in the moment each pitch, each time. I'm sorry. You're in the moment with each pitch in each inning, but you're not focused on the totality until you start getting past a moment where, oh, maybe, you know, Dusty usually comes out and gets me right now. Or, you know, the skipper comes out and gets me at this moment. And now you're into the eighth inning or ninth inning. And I had moments like that where it's like, oh, my pitch counts low. I felt good. So, I that that's how my mind works, and I'm sure people have asked you a million times about your World Series at bat and everything like that. I mean, you're not thinking about the moment. If you're thinking about the moment, you can't get it done. You're thinking about all the stuff that you've done to get there, probably at the end. But really, all right, what's this guy going to throw? Where should my hands be? You know, what's the location? What's the situation? Am I trying to drive the ball the other way? I mean, I always felt like that as a pitcher. So an immaculate inning, back to the original question, is in a different moment because you're like, one, two, three. Oh, I'm, I'm dotting the ball right where I want to. Like, one, two, three. You're like, okay. So I'm, I'm assuming on the third hitter, you're feeling really good. But even then, I, it would be interesting to ask Luis or, or Phil, um, you know, what they were thinking. You're just thinking, where's where's Maldonado's glove? You know, and if he's calling all the pitches and you're not shaking him off, then you're just going to, you know, he'll put down the finger, you throw it to where he, you know, where he wants you to throw it. And it just kind of happens. So, uh, you know, I, I just think as a successful athlete, you can't think of the the weight of the situation or you can't think of the outcome before the outcome actually happens. And I think um, you can probably relate to that and give me some insight, mm-hmm. right? I mean, don't you think that your most successful moments have come when you're not considering the the ramifications or the outcome? Well, I've always been a guy that, that said recognize the moment, but like you're saying, I can't get ahead of the moment. I think that's when you get in trouble is when you get ahead and, man, I hope I do this or I hope this doesn't happen. Once you get into that mentality, I think that's where you start to lose a little bit of the moment. So I think it's good to recognize the moment and I think it's good to appreciate the moment, but I think you kind of hit it right there when you say that you are in those moments and you're starting to recognize, man, my pitch has extra break on it. And, oh my gosh, these hitters, I must be really deceptive today because guys are swinging at pitches out of the zone. They're chasing some of my stuff. So I'm getting help from the hitter and I'm talking about the immaculate inning. I'm getting help from the hitter. I'm getting help from the umpire. You need a little bit of an edge. You're making good pitches and the umpire kind of, yeah, it gives you one. You're like, sweet, dude, I'm locked in. But I think when you do get in that moment, you recognize it and you, you want it. I think that it simplifies things. And that's kind of what you were talking about is when you get in that moment, all of a sudden you're like, okay, what's the sign? What's the pitch? How am I holding it? How does the ball feel in my hand? What do I have to do to execute this pitch to the best of my ability? Hit the glove. And then all of a sudden you just simplify. And I feel like that simplification in your mind allows your body to kind of release a little bit and complete the complete the task, complete the action. And then you go out there and have some of your best stuff because that mind is kind of wiped clean and you're, you're allowing yourself to go out there and do that. So that's what I think is interesting because – you know, having been in a lot of situations as a hitter for game-winning RBIs or even on defense with, you know, run bases loaded, one out, up by one, got to turn the double play kind of thing, where all of a sudden you're like, dude, this is kind of a big moment right here. And then all of a sudden you go, what do I have to do to complete what's, you know, what do I do if the ball's hit to me is always the question. So if the ball's hit to me, if it's hit in front of me, I'm going to turn the double play. If I have to charge in, I'm going to make the throw to home plate. If I move to my left, I'm going here. If I move to my right, I'm going here. If it's not hit hard, what do I do? You know, all these things kind of play out in your head, but the fact that you're playing them in your head and you prepare for the situation, I think makes you able to accomplish in a tough situation. And then obviously the world series that you're talking about, that w- that was such a slow and methodical process, even though it didn't look like it. Because I'm going, okay, I'm going to take till I get a strike. All of a sudden, I'm two zero, and like you said, I said I'm going to look for a pitch away. I know that they know my happy spots on the inside corner. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do that. 
and all of a sudden you react and something good happens. I think that's where you got to get as an, an, as an athlete, but to Tuttle's point in being able to, to be in the moment, recognize it and simplify it is experience because you have to have those failures over and over of where you tried to do too much or you tried to imagine, what if I do this? How great would it be if I did this? All that does is add to the letdown when you don't accomplish it. And it kind of diminishes it when you do succeed because you were like, oh, I, I was expecting to do this. I think when you lower the expect, not lower the expectation, but lower the idea of what you're going to do and just react in the moment, it makes everything that much better and enhances it a little bit, wouldn't you say? Yeah, you nailed it. I, I think there's a, an old saying, good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. And I think you just, baseball's, you know, the epitome of that. You just learn. You made a mistake. <laughs> I, I watched the College World Series last uh last couple of days and I, a guy went from second to third right in front of the shortstop got thrown out and he just put his head down and the third base coach ignored him and it was great it was like the third base coach just walked away he didn't say get down get down he didn't say anything third base coach is like shaking his head and then the guy looked up you know from his slide where he got tagged out and the third base coach was like 10 feet from him. He's like, you know, I mean, basically like we work on this stuff all the time and you do it. So again, you got to make that mistake. We still see that mistake. And then lastly on the subject, I just want to say, I think, especially with the immaculate inning, but I, I remember, I don't know if it was home crowd or visitor, but there were times where your stuff was better and it kind of wanted you to you just have to remember your the mental side is everything. Because when you throw a pitch with confidence, I can't speak to hitting. When you swing the bat with confidence, good things happen. I remember closing mm -hmm. out a game and you have the crowd behind you and you've struck out the first two guys or something like that. And the guy fouls a pitch off. And, you know, I never threw that hard, but it was like, I'm going to throw this pitch right there with conviction and you get a swing and miss and the crowd goes crazy. And you're like, man, I just, I, th you know, it wasn't anything special. It's just that you believed in it and you had this confidence. Now that's happened before we have confidence and some other things happen. But like you said, you slow everything down. You're doing it one pitch at a time and you don't let the moment get too big. That comes with experience. And I think that's how you can have success. And I also think the last thing with Maton, he's probably not, I mean, an immaculate inning isn't your goal there. You're just throwing your pitches. So that's the other thing about immaculate inning. It's not quite, yes, it's more rare than a no hitter and certainly a perfect game is rare, but it's just nine pitches. I mean, if you got out of the inning with 10 pitches and 11, you don't care. You're not like, you know what I mean? You're not like, mm -hmm. oh my God. I mean, you just want to have clean innings, especially as a reliever in a close game. So an immaculate inning is not usually the goal. It might be the result, but I think that's, a, that's another key. So why don't we take a break list, uh, to hear from our sponsors here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We'll come back with who's hot, who's not, and some other things. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, welcome back in. Hopefully those sponsors treat you right. Um, remember, you're listening to the Bleacher Blums podcast with... Jeff Blum, 14-year major leaguer, and myself, David Tuttle. You can reach Blum at Blummer27 on Instagram and Twitter, and you can reach myself at Real David Tuttle. Uh, remember, with those lead-off lyrics, there's at Bleacher Blums. Mm -hmm. And you can get on BleacherBlums.com to actually see our mugs, my unrazored face. And, uh, you know, the, good, the goodness that is us getting back together here for the first time in a couple of weeks. So, Blummer... Let's start off from this uh, commercial break with uh, 
who's hot and who's not. Um, you can pick the side who's hot or who's not, and then we'll uh, we'll riff from there. Well, I'm going to go with who's hot because it has an impact on what the Astros are going to be doing this week. Uh, I already talked about how they're going to be going into Yankee Stadium for four games and then into City Field to play the Mets for two games. The New York Yankees are the first team to get to 50 wins this season. And the reason I find that remarkable is because the Yankees are 67 games into the season. And that makes them 50 and 17, which is a ridiculous record. I think they've got a 12-game lead on the uh, the second-place team in the American League East. And what's crazy, too, I mean, this will be a topic probably closer to the end of the season when wildcard standings start coming into play with the expanded playoffs, is there's a real opportunity that there's going to be four teams from the American League East in the playoffs, which is absolutely ludicrous. Uh, you know, the Cleveland Indians right now are in one of those playoff uh, wildcard playoff spots. Obviously, we're 67, 70 games into the season, still pretty early. But uh, the Yankees are the hottest team in baseball. They're they're driving the baseball out of the ballpark at an epic rate. They are uh, pitching extremely well. Garrett Cole's leading that uh, rotation. They're doing phenomenal. They've got a couple guys out of their bullpen who have all of a sudden figured it out, even though their closer is struggling. Nestor Cortez is in the Cy Young conversation. It's remarkable what they're able to go out there and do. And just another note on that, as they prepare for the Astros to come into town, is the only team, I, I saw this the other day on MLB Network, the only other team to do it quicker than the New York Yankees are at 50 and 17 through, seven, through uh, 67 games, the Seattle Mariners of 2001. And I just want to remind everybody about that Mariners team in 2001. They lost in the first round to the New York Yankees. Yeah, they fizzled out. Yeah, they completely fizzled out. But it's remarkable what they're doing. They're obviously the hottest team in baseball. And the Astros are going to visit them. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch that going forward. Who do you got for who's hot? Yeah, so that was my who's hot as well. But uh, just to add nice. a little color, remember, we picked the Blue Jays to uh, win the American right. League East and get to the World Series. And they've been on a tear as well. But man, you know, when you have a team as hot as the Yankees at 50 and 17, it doesn't really matter if there's like a secondary <laughs> hot team. Because uh, my who's not uh, will touch on the fact that the uh, Braves had won 14 or 15 in a row and they were back on a roll as well. So um, anyway, I mean, I, I just think, yeah, it's going to be a great series with the Astros and the Yankees. Uh, we do know that everything kind of regresses towards the mean. So it'll be interesting to see if the True. Yankees and the Astros can have a, you know. I don't know if it's a competitive series. Of course, it'll be competitive. But if the Astros can, you know, put a little chink in their armor and see if uh, see if there's yeah. a you know a playoff series to be had uh, early here in the uh, season. So I think that's the that's the key here, right? The precursor to the playoffs, and then there's obviously the Garrett Cole Verlander, you know, both having been on the same staff for a while. And Jordan all that stuff. and Judge. So, I mean, yeah, yeah there's a and, lot going on. Yeah. As long as Jordan stays healthy, right? Jordan's missed yep. a few here, but that sounds like it was uh, more in preparation to get ready for the Yankee series. And then the last thing about the Yankees is, uh, you know, it's it, the, what a difference a year makes. We've talked about this in the offseason very consistently, but, you know, we talk about chemistry and, you know, getting, you know, a couple guys like Nestor Cortez is a good example. You know, they just needed a couple pieces, really, to, you know, to kind of solidify their pitching staff. Because we knew Garrett Cole was the front runner last year, even in the Cy Young conversation for a team that mm -hmm. was kind of not as good. But man, get rid of a couple guys. I don't know if it was Gary Sanchez isn't there, and they move, you know, Glaber Torres around, and I don't know. There's just guys that there's just guys that have been there, and they have to stay healthy. And now you have Judge healthy, and it looks like Stanton is playing well. And all of a sudden, it's kind of like, hey, this is the team we expected three years ago, and here <laughs> they are. So I do think it's not. You know, it's not like out of left field where, oh my God, this came out of left field. The Yankees are good. I mean, we know the Dodgers, Yankees, Red Sox have the highest payrolls, but it is interesting to see it come together. And it'll be interesting to see um, after the series with the Astros what our take is in terms of where they're headed for the rest of the year. But man, 50 and 17, you got to ride that thing as long Ooh, as you doggy. can. Hey, how about remember over the offseason or at the end of last season, we were talking about Aaron Boone on the hot seat? Yes, we were. How funny is that now? Dude, he's like manager of the year. Yeah, it's funny when you're when your team plays well, what a smart manager you are. 
And when your team's yeah. not playing well, that you know you got to get out of there. So I don't know. Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone were on the hot seat, and <laughs> now they're not, and that's fine. All right. Speaking yeah, of not hot now. seat, yeah. Who's your, who's your not? Maybe I'll start with the not, just because I mentioned the Braves. So there was a point mm-hmm. last week where a 14 win consecutive win Atlanta Braves team beat. I'm sorry, they lost to the Cubs who had lost 10 in a row. So we had the Braves on a hot streak, the Cubs not on a hot streak, and they finally snapped that streak there at 10. But uh, we talked about the Cubs as a rebuild, and you know it's interesting to talk about a, a not-hot team because we can talk about some not-hot players on good teams and maybe some teams that are faltering a little bit. That might be more uh, intrigue for us because the Cubs, um, you know, they're just not on the radar for anybody. It seems like, I don't know in Major League Baseball if you're going to do a rebuild, but that team shouldn't really do a rebuild. They should do a retool. They have the revenue. They mm-hmm. have the ability to kind of keep these guys. We know they so sold true. off Chris Bryant and Javi Baez, and they got rid of some guys. But what are the Cubs doing? I mean, losing 10 in a row in the big leagues, they're trying to they're trying to overtake the Cincinnati Reds, right? For the worst team in baseball, if they haven't already. So the Cubs are not hot. I don't know if I could name any players on the Cubs anymore. I guess the catcher, right? Wilson Contreras. So, mm-hmm. um, I, but I don't, I, I just, I don't know what they're trying to do. And if you're on a team like that, we've I probably asked you this question before. What are you thinking? I mean, are you, you're already making, oh man, you know, you're already making vacation plans, but, uh, but what are you thinking when you show up to the club, you know, the clubhouse every day? It's just got to be really frustrating. But the Cubs are not hot, and they don't really seem to be on a trajectory to anywhere. Yeah, it sucks playing on a losing team because you've got nothing to show up for. And we always talk about the team game on this podcast. And when it turns into an individual game, the game, I feel like the game gets a little bit harder and a little more stressful. But that's where those guys are at right now. And what's interesting is before the trade deadline, which is going to be, there's only one trade deadline now in uh, baseball, and it's going to be August 2nd, is the fact that when you are on a losing team, all of a sudden you are a commodity. (laughs) And it's what the other teams want to come out and try and pluck from your organization. So that team that you're playing with and losing with right now is not going to be the same team after August 2nd. Because if you're good enough, you're gone. They're going to find a way to trade you for some assets to try and make their team better in the future. And you're just a victim of circumstance and you got to make the, you got to make the move. Wilson Contreras is one of those guys. I think that he's a guy that his name's being tossed about. He's a good catcher. He's a good offensive catcher. And they're, you know, those teams out there looking at a guy like Wilson Contreras. That's the first thing. The second thing is you almost said it. You're making travel plans. You're you're going okay. What uh, today is uh, what uh, June 21st, and I can go ahead and get good rates on some flights, hopefully to Hawaii. And uh, I'm going to ask Tuttle where he went and where he stayed <laughs> and what he did, so I know what I'm doing when I get out there. Uh, so you're making travel plans. That's what you're doing. It's unfortunate. Uh, it's discouraging, but at the same time, oh, you know what? The third thing you'll throw in there is you're playing for a contract next year. Whether you're an arbitration guy, I you know a ball club like that doesn't have any, too many long-term guys other than Jason Hayward, which by the way is the worst contract ever signed in Major League Baseball ever ever. Um, and if you're either going for arbitration, you're going for a contract renewal, or you're going into free agency. So you're playing for the monetary benefit of what you're doing right now, trying to get a job for next year. But that sucks. It's not a good way to play. Uh, There's nothing hot about that. So you're correcting them not being hot. My team who's not hot is going to be out there on that left coast where Tuttle's hanging out. The Los Angeles Dodgers. This is an interesting situation because the Padres just overtook them for the West. They're now tied, but they overtook them for the Western lead in in the National League West. The Giants, Tuttle's Giants, are three and a half games behind them. So the West is kind of bunching up, but the Dodgers were supposed to be the Yankees of the West Coast and run away with the division, and they're not. Mookie Betts is on the injured list, got a couple of cracked ribs, so you're going to lose him for a little bit. And then what is the story with closers in L.A.? First it was Kenley Jansen. Now it's Kimbrel. Kimbrel's got some crazy numbers over the last uh, couple of weeks. He's walking guys. He's not converting saves. He's taking losses. And all of a sudden, the Dodgers are somewhat beatable, and they're tied for first in the West with uh, San Diego. And it's crazy to say that a first-place team is is not hot, but they have definitely come back to that division a little bit. Are you surprised at all by that, Tuttle? 
Well, I am, but I, I'm glad you mentioned them. I always like it when the Dodgers are the not hot choice <laughs> of the. Uh, but you know, the Giants have impressed me. The Padres certainly have impressed me, and I know Musgrove just went on the IL for. Uh, oh yeah, for COVID. For COVID, but that's. I mean, I have COVID. He'll be back shortly. It's not anything serious, and he's dealing. And uh, and Mookie Betts just went on the IL, and I think that is. Not what you want to see when you're kind of a not hot team. I mean, he, you know, he's hitting 270, but he was really, um, you know, 17 home runs, leading the team in RBIs. Like Mookie Betts is not a guy you want to lose for any extended period of time. And I think that uh, you you hit the nail on the head. They're not hot, but that division we called it at the beginning of the year. That division is going to be, I mean. They're gonna be that. That's they're gonna beat up on each other again. I mean, last year the Giants won the division. The Dodgers went to the World Series. Well, they went to the National League uh, Championship Series and lost to the Braves. But you know what I'm saying. The team that went the farthest is not the team that won that division, and we could see that again. But we're gonna talk a lot of baseball on this podcast. That's why you tune into the Bleachers. We love talking about it. But instead of the professional ranks. I'm going to kind of shift gears a little bit and get into the College World Series. Tuttle hinted at it that he had been watching it earlier, and this comes from a guy who grew up on the West Coast and believed in the pack, uh, the Pacific, you know, the the Pac-12, the Ten Pack, whatever you wanted to call it. When I played, it was the Six Pack in baseball. But uh, the Pacific Coast was always a baseball conference. We always prided ourselves on the USC's, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, you know, Santa Clara, where Tuttle played, even the Big West. There were some very good baseball teams that were consistently coming out of the West, moving into Omaha, and winning winning national titles. You know, the year I went in 1992, Pepperdine, Cal State, Fullerton, Cal, we were all teams that were competing for that for that title. It eventually was Pepperdine in 1992. Uh, Cal State, Fullerton's always been a powerhouse, but things have definitely shifted here. And I want to start with the college baseball angle because I think the college baseball is going to become one of the, one of the better resources for Major League Baseball. You're going to be more mature mentally and physically. Tuttle and I can attest to that, having gone through the college ranks and then moved into professional baseball. But with the the way that the system has realigned itself in minor league baseball, removing several teams, we've talked about the talent, you know, being kind of limited now and more specialized when you get into the minor leagues, that I think it opens itself up for the opportunity for college baseball to become another minor league system. And we're seeing some very, very good baseball out there in the Omaha, the super regionals and the way they've constructed it. The, you know, ESPN's done a great job of covering it. I'm fascinated by it. I love it. I think the talent is great. I think the game is going extremely well. But the talent for me, Tuttle, and now that my daughter's going to Arkansas, it's kind of opened my eyes up to what the SEC is. The SEC might be the greatest sports, not just baseball or football. I think it might be the greatest conference in the country. It's amazing to watch. They've got three teams in the College World Series, and those three teams combined in the SEC tournament, 0-4. The best team was the Tennessee uh, Volunteers, and they didn't even make it to Omaha. So my eyes are wide open. The SEC is unbelievable. I'm fascinated by it. The college game is great. Give me your thoughts on the college baseball as you see it right now. Well, I have a question too. Aren't the isn't aren't Texas and somebody else joining the SEC for baseball? So that right? I was so, going to bring that up when we talked in a little bit. But you're right. Texas and Oklahoma are in the World Series yeah. right now, and they, yeah. in the next three years, they're moving into the SEC, right. and it's only going to get yeah. better. Right. So I think I didn't mean to steal your thunder, but that that's no. But the you're piece on the that, same page, brother. Yeah. That there you go. That was the piece that stuck out to me. So three of the teams from the SEC are in the World Series, and it was like you said, Tennessee Volunteers all year were consensus ranked number one. They didn't even make it. Now you have these two other teams, Texas, Oklahoma, who look really good. I know Texas uh, got knocked out um, just like Stanford did, Thank without God. a win. But yeah, you didn't want the two barbecue Cardinal. Yeah, that's the first time, by the way, they've ever gone to and barbecue, and that doesn't speak well. But it kind of, it doesn't speak well about your West Coast teams. But I think that you know, obviously, enhances your point of the SEC being the strength. Um, I do think uh, when I was playing, like 
they've already turned themselves into big league type teams. Meaning, I saw Troy Tulowitzki is the hitting coach for Texas. We know uh, Stevie Rodriguez is the head coach at Baylor, and he's been you know he was Tim Hudson's the head coach around. at Auburn, who's in the World Series. That's right, Tim Hudson, right, ex big leaguer, and they yeah. run their teams. I I remember when I was having a successful junior year, our coach would let me stay out there. Like he wasn't going to bring in anybody that could do what I could do at that point. Right, you're having a hot year. Same with you. You're not going to get pinch hit for um, as a switch hitter in the middle of the order when you're, you know, one of the best players on your team. Nowadays, I mean, they just mix and match consistently. Uh, I read an article, and this will relate to the College World Series, about getting a high school pitcher that hasn't had Tommy John. There's this high school pitcher that <laughs> shut himself down. Um, these guys have been pitching. So if you take your point and you've now gone to perfect game, area code games, you've been scouted, you've been recruited, you were too skinny or you didn't like the signing bonus you're offered out of college or out of high school, you go to these SEC teams and they already have a slot for you. You're going to be the setup guy. You're going to be the closer. They're running it like a big league team. This guy comes in throwing 96 from Texas, he's a freshman. He's throwing 96. It's like, all right, all they need him is two years out of their bullpen. And now those are the guys. It used to be few and far between. And I think, you know, you and I are very close in age. And I know you talked about your progression to get to the big leagues and my little journey of A ball, couple years at double A, back to A ball, double A, triple A, triple A. Um, these guys. You know, if some guy went from, I remember one year there was a guy pitching in the playoffs that was like a closer or starter at South Carolina, and they had him right there. Like, I mean, he was same season. When that happened, it was such an anomaly. It was so rare. <laughs> now the guys that are coming out of college, mm -hmm. I know the Tigers had a couple guys. They also had a guy out of high school, but they have these guys. They're one year in the minor leagues. You know, you've gotten rid of some minor league teams. They like, but they, you know, they've scouted these guys a lot and then they're more seasoned. We're going to see, to your point, um, a bigger influx, especially out of the SEC, of these guys that go right from college ball, maybe, you know, a short season, maybe one full season in the minor leagues, and they're still a top prospect right into the big leagues and ready to go. Yep. And I, I mean, we're seeing it already, but that's your that's the crux of your point, which is yeah. the college baseball. If I'm a GM, let's just switch gears. If I'm a GM, there's no way I'm drafting high school pitchers or high school hitters. <laughs> I would just already cross them off no matter how much I liked them. I, I mean, unless it's, you know, even the Josh Hamiltons of the world, look at the journey he took, right? It's like, I want this guy who got to be more played, patient with you know, him. Yeah. High level division one college baseball that, you know, Tim Hudson called me and said, he's going to be a superstar. Okay. Tim Hudson knows what it takes. Troy Tulowitzki told me, all right, this guy, you know, knows what he's doing. Awesome. I'll take this guy and we can have a big league player sooner than later. So the SEC thing's a whole nother discussion. We could probably make yeah. that a podcast, but there's no doubt that the College World Series that we're watching right now has 10 to 12 guys that we're going to see in the next two years in the big leagues. No, I think you absolutely crushed it. And if you are listening to this podcast, you can hit that rewind button, go back about 30, 40 seconds and listen to what Tuttle said, because I think you kind of nailed it with everything that you were going through talking about that and the benefits of college baseball and the talent that is going through there. And that kind of leads me into my, another thought that I'm having is that you're, you're going to you already see a pitching coach for the University of Michigan, who is now the pitching coach for the Detroit Tigers. I think that you're going to start seeing more of that because of what Tuttle just hit on with the with as talented as these guys are and as as developed as they are, they go to college and they develop as a human being. They develop mentally. They develop playing under stress in the SEC or in some of these powerhouse conferences under some intense environments. They're not going to be overwhelmed when they get to the major league level, and I think they're going to be more prepared both mentally, physically, but also coachability-wise, because coaches are getting so much better. You're starting to see Tulowitzki, Tim Hudson. You're starting to see some of these ex-big leaguers infiltrate the college system. Kirk Sarloos is a is a, a head coach out at TCU here. You already talked about Stevie Rodriguez, who, who coached at Baylor. So you're starting to see some of this professional baseball getting into the college game, but these guys are becoming uh, hyper-developed. And now, I, gosh, I can't remember. There's a great article in The Athletic talking about the SEC, but I think it's Oklahoma who is going to put $30 million into their baseball stadium. 
baseball stadium. Tell me if you ever even thought that was going to, in your wildest imagination, that was ever going to be a possibility, Tuttle, because you and I know that it's basketball, football first. They're the revenue builders. They're the booster club uh, sponsors. They're everything to those, those, to the, they're the revenue makers for all of the uh, universities. But now baseball is yeah. getting into the mix. And that's what turns me on so much. So the coaching's getting better. The players are going to get better. The facilities now are going to start becoming incredible, and that's only going to help recruitment. And if I told you, Tuttle, at the age of 18, and this kind of went into my thought process too, is as an 18-year-old, I was like, okay, I could get drafted and I could go ride a bus for 15 hours every three days to go play baseball, or I could go to Cal where I'm going to fly commercially everywhere and stay at some of the best hotels and I'm going to get better meal money and I'm going to get a scholarship that's going to be more than my minor league contract. Heck, guess what? I'm going to go play. And now you're starting to see these facilities where the technology is better with the Hawkeye, Rapsodo, uh, you know, the, the Trackmans, everything that they have in the big leagues is now in these uh, these college systems, if not better and you're not going to see that in A ball, double A, triple A. You got to get to the big leagues to get back to comparable technology that you had in college. That's where I think a lot of these kids are going to start making that decision, man. Yeah, I mean, unless you're a high school first rounder, I mean, it yeah, just unless you're seems getting ludicrous like, money, you know. Yeah, like why? Why money. would you? Right, but why would you come out? And I think you you hit the key points. But I was going to say one thing to support that, which is the big knock on college players was. They don't understand the pro game. The pro game's different. And you just, all the stuff you laid out, you mentioned hitting the rewind button before, all the stuff, Trackman and the like Rapsodo and all the things that the the way that guys are utilizing their pitching staffs, which is what I focus on, not just mm -hmm. their lineups. You know, they got a switch hitter here. They got this guy there. All right, we're going to flip this guy around. This guy has good stats coming in. They're, they're turning the college game, especially at the high levels like the SEC and the Pac-12 into professional baseball with the infiltration of some of the coaches you mentioned. So if the only knock on college was that it's a rah-rah, like, you know, win-at-all-cost game, it's not like the pro game, well, start watching the College World Series and listen yes. to some of the things that they're talking about, and you realize that it's, like you said, it's like a high-level minor league team, but you don't have yeah. to ride buses for 14 hours. And this is the last little thing. We got back from Hawaii, and my suitcase was the first one off the the plane we went down to the thing and i was laughing because that was our favorite game right everybody did that everybody throw in a buck everybody yeah. throwing five bucks first yeah, totally first bag off great. so i was telling my family i'm like yes first bag off you guys all owe me some money so yeah. they didn't get it but but that was the <laughs> but but to your point you're flying commercially you're doing everything right um, and now the game is mirroring the professional game much more so, and you have Good less point. minor league teams. It behooves teams, general managers, and professional organizations to start looking at these guys more seriously, and we know they will. And you mentioned the $30 million Oklahoma's putting into their baseball stadium. I mean, when I was recruited at Santa Clara, we had great soccer at Santa Clara, as everybody knows. Mm -hmm. So they were women's team especially was in the national championship hunt every year. Uh, we had Division Two football and Buckshaw Stadium, which is Your still there. Team was good they too, used man. that for yeah, and hoops is decent. But they had soccer and uh, and football played on that field, and they would convert it to baseball. And they were like, "Hey, if oh, you wow. come here in the next two years, we're going to build a baseball stadium." Well, fourteen years after I left Santa Clara, they built a baseball stadium <laughs> that you've actually worked at. They hosted a regional there. I'm sure you worked there for the Pac-12 Network. But yeah. my point is. Santa Clara finally built the stadium. So, I mean, we're definitely progressing in the right, uh, in the right, uh, you know, path or on the right path. But, uh, yeah, that recruiting tool worked pretty well. And there you go. We got the stadium finally 15 years after I left. So that's awesome. And obviously we're prejudiced towards, uh, the college game and just the, the maturity of it, but it's nice to have, it's nice to have a competitive league that isn't major league baseball. And the reason I bring that up as far as competitive leagues, because we're going to take a major shift in this podcast right now and talk some golf. We talk golf quite a bit, usually how bad my game is or, you know, a miraculous shot by Tuttle in a scramble situation. But there is a divide happening in the PGA, and it has to do with Live Golf, L-I-V, and it's it's a new golf league that is created, and it's it's backed by Saudi Arabian money, 
And I think that's part, I don't think, I know that's part of the controversy, but there is a major split. And if you were watching any of the US Open this past week, you saw some really interesting press conferences and who knew that golf press conferences could actually be highly entertaining. I thought it was fascinating to listen to Brooks Kepka, who just recently announced that he's going to go take the money and go play over there. And then uh, Phil Mickelson, obviously, with everything that he has said in the past, has been uh, controversial, to say the least. And his press conference didn't go as well as he had hoped. And then you had Rory McIlroy, who basically said, you know, I'm, I'm, one, I'm one tournament better as far as wins than Greg Norman, who is heading up the, who is basically the spokesperson for Live Golf. So there is a separate golf league out there uh, where they're paying a ridiculous, ridiculous amount of money for these guys to go out there and play. They're not proving that they, they've earned the money. They, unlike the PGA where you've got to play well and beat the best to earn your money, uh, LIV Golf is just paying these guys outright. They want the big names, they want the big tickets, and they want them to go out there and play these, these uh, adjusted tournaments. I call it a glorified scramble tournament because they're having shotgun starts and they're they're having these celebrities go out there. But the thing that threw me off for the live golf and really kind of tarnished it for me was Charles freaking Schwartzel won the first event. Why am I going to pay to watch an event where Charles freaking Schwartzel is winning events? Uh, we'll get into the weeds a little bit, but Tuttle, do you like the idea of something competing with the PGA? Do, what, do, what do you like and don't like about this situation? Yeah, I don't. I, I hadn't put a lot of thought into it. I did watch the press conferences. My favorite was the way they edited. Like, so Rory McIlroy said, "Yeah, I love playing with these guys," and he named like four guys that didn't leave. You know, me, John Rom, like these are the best guys in the world, you know, and he basically just kind of listed, Thomas, you know, so, yeah. yeah, he just named the four guys. That was my favorite part about the press conference. Like, I like these guys, Justin Thomas and only these four. He didn't name. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. Like, these are the guys that are, I got the impression Brooks Kepka wasn't going to leave the way he was. Uh, Thank you. Right? That's a that big the, deal right now. Yeah. That's he was so kind of like, oh, no, like we got to be talking about golf. Like, why are we talking about this whole other tour? And now he leaves, which, you know, that's another. That's a topic again, like yeah. where maybe we'll never understand. I do think maybe these guys feel like they've earned their money. I don't know um, from a competitive aspect how this will be, but I know being a career minor leaguer, if somebody offered me, I remember getting offered to go to Taiwan to play, you know, and you could actually get a six figure contract and go over to Taiwan and play. I had the, and same, just thinking, I had the same thing. Like, there you go. And it's kind of like, ooh. Maybe I should do that. I mean, the money is tempting. So I didn't do that, but it was certainly something that was um, on the table and certainly something that I was considering. But I thought, gosh, if I go over there and give up a couple of good years, then I could have played in the big leagues. And we've seen guys go back and forth. So, I mean, it really depends on what your goals are. That's always a personal decision. But, you know, I mean, Kepka must have got... I mean, if he got $50 million or something like that, that'd be really hard to turn down. And I don't know if it's going to water down golf as much as we think it is. So mm -hmm. again, like everybody else, I wish I was well more well-versed. I, I listened to the caddy on ESPN. He was like, well, this is some of the dynamic. Like, they, they, They're not sure about how the PGA can suspend these guys or if they'll still be eligible for some tournaments. Obviously, they played in the U.S. Open. They'll be able to play in the Masters because the Masters owns their tournament if they want them. Yeah, they're individual, you know, if they yeah. want those guys back. So we'll have to see how the allegiance is, right? This is going to be the team, team thing. You're on this side of the fence. I'm on this side of the fence. But man, that money would be really hard to turn down. But we do know that we like watching people compete at the highest level. And I think that's what you touched on. And that's the thing that, um, you know, a, watching a watered down golf tournament, um, you know, Charles Schwartzel aside, like, I don't, I mean, he's a pretty good golfer. He's not my favorite, but watching, watching anything watered down, you know, you've yeah. heard about it when expansion happens, like, oh, the Seattle Mariners are the newest team or the Tampa Bay Devil Rays are the, you know, the newest team. And you watch those teams get pummeled the first year and they're like, yeah, their pitching's not deep and they got the AAA guys from this squad. And anyway, so <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out because it's always the wait and see approach. Two things. It seems like a lot of money to turn down and we'll have to see if the PGA still keeps their hold on the top golfers in the world. And if they do, that's going to make for better viewing, better watching, and, you know, I guess more competitive golf. So it'll be really interesting to see how that part plays out. What do you think about the 
I know you understand the money grab, but what do you think it's going to do for the competitive spirit and then the watering down or lack thereof? Well, I, I think that this this new golf league is going to have to figure out a way not to be watered down or figure out a way to get these guys incentivized to go play because all this money up front, guess what? I put it in my pocket, I go out and hit a couple golf balls and I go home. You know, where where is the incentive to go out there and play? And I think that's where the PGA's done a good job of saying and and I think we all we all understand the meritocracy of going out there and playing hard, working hard, earning the victory, getting paid for earning the victory. And now you're seeing just the money up front. Here's $50 million. Go hang out with these guys, go play on our tour, check this out. And they'll, they, I think the lead that league is expecting to pay these guys up front and then have that notoriety and have that exposure come to them with TV contracts, advertising, because it's going to be really hard. And I think the real issue that the hardest issue might be to overcome is the, the idea of what Saudi Arabia is, you know, the, 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 the OPEC and the oil industry itself. And then you add in the civil rights issues that Saudi Arabia has. So I think they're paying these guys an exorbitant amount of money to try and bring them credibility to get the exposure, to have the advertisers, to have the TV contracts and things like that. I don't know how that's going to work out or if that's even possible considering this day and age where everybody's, you know, mad at everybody, it seems like. But these guys obviously have a price. We all have a price. I was similar to you where Japan called me, oh, I think I was six and a half years, seven years into my con into my career. And I was, they, they, every time I said no, they offered me like twice as much. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And I kind of got to the point with my wife where I'm like, dude, we got to think about this. This is like life altering money here. But at the mm -hmm. same time, I was, I, I didn't go because I felt I was close enough to getting my pension. And I think long-term, you know, I lucked out, I have maxed out my pension and I've, I've got future earnings because I played yes. in the major leagues, but you know, yeah. it, it's tough. It's a moral dilemma, but I think that PG, the PGA is going to have to find out a way to maybe, to maybe help the players a little bit more as far as money's concerned. Cause I think that's the interesting thing about this live golf league is that even if you come in last place, you're still getting a pretty healthy chunk of change. And that's what's appealing is like, if I have a bad week, I'm still going to get uh, a decent amount of money. Whereas if you're on the PGA, you're risking losing your tour card, you're risking losing, uh, you know, uh, the tournament and losing paychecks. I mean, that's where you start to start mess with these guys. But hey, what if the PGA players all of a sudden develop a union? Wouldn't that be scary? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be scary. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of wait and see, and I, I agree with you. I mean, it, I think it'd be challenging to take the money, but look, I mean, you took a risk and it paid off. Um, that that kind of that leads me to it, it's not a what'll tuttle say, but I I I realized this week that uh, Lorenzo Kane was let go uh, from the Milwaukee yeah. Brewers, but they let him go. How about this? And this is what I wanted to bring up and give you props. You just kind of teed me up for your six and a half year contract negotiation. Lorenzo Cain, they let him go the day that he reached his 10 years of service time. Um, and they, you know, he was struggling and, you know, it was probably a time to go, but they let it, they, they let him kind of stay on the roster until he reaches 10 years service time, which we both know That's is awesome. a kind of the magical number in baseball. And so really kudos to the Brewers for doing that. But what I wanted to, I, I wrote some stuff down. What I wanted to kind of, remind you and maybe I, I guess I didn't consider this we continue to talk about baseball uh, players like they get guaranteed contracts and the longevity's better mm -hmm. um, and you know NFL running backs your you know your life in the NFL is like two and a half three years if you're playing you know <laughs> yeah. all the time and you know I mean that's you definitely have to have another career but I didn't realize this and we talked about you being a 14 year major league player and you know sticking it out instead of going to Japan. So less than 10% of all major leaguers have that 10-year pension, less than 10% of all big wow. leaguers. So that's what the article said. So kudos to you again, Plummer. Yes, you've Damn. put yourself in a good spot for when your kids get out of college and you know, you and Corey ride off into the sunset. Maybe you'll go to Kauai and lose your razor like I did. But, uh, but there you that. go. But uh, but that's a really uh, just I guess hats off to you. It's a it's a great accomplishment. And then you brought up the Japan thing that you were considering leaving for the money. I mean, there are there are other things to consider, and there are things that you can bet on, like bet on yourself and bet on this mm -hmm. challenge and bet on that. So, but 
thinking about how long I, I felt like Lorenzo Kane had been around for a long time, you know, winning the World Series with the Royals and then going to the Brewers and helping them be a kind of a mainstay there in the in the National League Central and, you know, just on fire. And uh, he just, you know, got out of the game today and he finally made his 10 years. So he must have done really well early on in his career, year one, yeah. year two there with the Royals. But uh, yeah, I just thought I'd give a hat tip to you, Blummer. 10 years in the big leagues or beyond, obviously, full pension is a, is quite an accomplishment. And we do talk about like Hall of Famers and longevity and all that kind of stuff. But you know, you fooled them long enough. Um, I remember, I remember Steve McCaddy was a my pitching coach, and I remember watching him pitch for the A's. And Steve McCaddy was my pitching coach in Double A, I think A ball Double A. And uh, he finally, I think he got a big league pitching coach job with the Nationals at one point, maybe about five seven years ago. And he had eight and a half years of service time as a player. And the reason he was trying to do the coaching was exactly that. I mean, if he can get one of the one of the service time positions yep. on a staff, which I think he did. He just wanted another year and a half to reach that full pension. But man, it took him another. I mean, he's gonna he was gonna get to sixty before he got his ten years, and now he's sixty years old. Now his pension's gonna kick in right away. But uh, it's quite an accomplishment and uh, something to consider that you know the Major League Baseball, their pension is uh, is one of the best on the planet, and uh, I think it's uh, kudos to those guys that can prove their worth and stick it out for ten years. So that's all I got. No, I appreciate that. And we talk about it all the time on this podcast. We'll talk about it for years to come as long as we're doing this podcast is for professional athletes, that earning window is so small that we, you know, even so, even though some of these contracts, even Jason Hayward, even though that contract is ludicrous, go get it, man. If somebody's willing to pay it, take it. Uh, you know, and then maybe that goes to the to the live golf thing too. If somebody's willing to pay it and somebody's willing to give it to you, who are you to say no to it? And the earning window is so small, but Major League Baseball has done such a good job with the pension plans and the benefit plans and protecting these players both during and after the game that getting to that 10-year uh, threshold and maxing out your pension is is literally life-altering. But at the same time, it's it's crazy to think that you know 10% or less have actually gotten to that 10-year uh, threshold and been able to maximize that pension because uh, I'm looking forward to the day when I've exhausted my my broadcasting abilities and I get to sit back in Kauai on the island of Tuttle and say, look at, I can now reap the benefits of all of my uh, my, my big league pension, but uh, yeah. pretty crazy stuff. And uh, good for Lorenzo Cain, good for the Brewers. I'm with you on that. I think baseball does a good job of recognizing those milestones and allowing maybe the opportunity to extend it a little bit more than maybe other leagues would. So Good for them. Uh, my, I've got a little bit of a, I've, I've got a walk away, a walk off comment on this podcast, and it's going to be a little bit goofy. It's going to be a little bit funny. I'm not trying to be political because on this podcast, we have talked about how we're not extreme one way. We're not extreme the other way. We just want everybody to kind of meet in the middle and enjoy ourselves. But dude, our poor president, man. I mean, yeah. he's had he's had some issues talking. I feel like I see more gaff reels than I do highlight reels of this guy and the biking incident. Mm. Okay, I appreciate the fact that Joe is is out there physic being physical. This being a sports podcast is why I'm bringing this up. I'm making it sports oriented. Don't there you get you it? <laughs> but the dude's on the bike, and I appreciate that. He looked like he was doing a great job riding the bike coming down the hill. You know, rides up to the reporter pool. And I'll be damned if that guy can't get his foot out of the strap. Ugh. And I have a couple of questions. Why the hell was he riding a bike with straps? I mean, was he going like black diamond downhill mountain biking with this thing? Why did he have to be strapped into the pedal to begin with? The second thing is, is with all these gaffes and then falling on the bike, where the hell is his leadership group? Who puts this guy who's going to be 80 years old on a bicycle in front of cameras? I don't understand how we can't put this guy in a better position to, to, to succeed. Isn't that what we do with managers or coaches when we're managing our little league teams or we're coaching our kids or we're trying to encourage them? We put up, we try and put them in a position where we're going to be like, way to go, Joe. You did a great job, man. Instead, we've got this poor old man falling over in the front of the entire world, man. I just, I laughed at first and then I went, good Lord, man. Can somebody, 
where's the support group for this guy? Why can't we put him in a better position to succeed and look like he knows what he's doing? I don't understand why they keep doing this to this guy. So that's my poor Joe, uh, poor Joe segment of the podcast. I just had to get that out there. Yep. I would agree with you. We talk about leadership. I mean, he is the leader of the free world. I mean, Trump <laughs> Trump had his incidents as well. Like you said, Oof. we're not political. Yeah, I mean, he- but the handlers, like I think they can override their handlers sometimes. But, you know, the speaking and the biking and, the, you know, we just talked about the pension and retirement. Like we try to get to 62. Like we're trying to get to 62 years old. <laughs> yeah. When you're 80. Magic number. No matter how many briefs come in, I've talked about you know the beginning of the podcast having a little COVID. A like bike. I need a nap today. I do not want to be the leader of the free world. <laughs> I don't want to be the leader of the free world now. But when I'm 80, I certainly do not want that job. So <laughs> right? I, we can leave you. it at that. We don't have to make it political. But and and when I'm 80, maybe I'll ride a bike. But I don't know if I will even want to be riding a bike. You know, hopefully somebody. Oh, can, I'm with uh, you on that. No way, man. Somebody can drive me around. I don't want to break a hip. You know. I yeah, mean, no, anyway. way too many things. Yeah, the, the the older I get, the less I want to get hurt because the recovery is sounds awful. Yeah, that's what sounds yeah. awful. That's exactly Anyways, right. It's the recovery. Yeah. So. Anyway, it I is. like it, Blummer. All right, man. It's good to see yeah. you. It's good to be back with you. Um, let's close Cuddle's this back. thing out. The band is back together. Yes. All right. At the end of every podcast, we wanted we want to thank all military. We appreciate all of those who have served, are currently serving both home and abroad. You're doing an amazing job. We appreciate you and everything you do and all the sacrifice that you put in front of you to allow us to have have the game of baseball, have the option of what league we're going to play in, have the option of recording a podcast. So we greatly appreciate you. Obviously, all the first responders who rush into harm's way to protect us, keep us safe, and allow us the opportunity to recover from any injuries that we do have. So all the essential workers who are helping uh, David Tuttle get through COVID, all the essential workers who are continuing to keep the shelves supplied, we appreciate you. Thank you for allowing us to have this podcast. Tuttle, you're back. We need you, man. Close it out. Yeah. All right. Hey, if you're over the age of 45, don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. And as always, we encourage you folks to get after it and believe it. All right. All right. You ready? Ready. <clears throat> You've been off. You've been off for a couple of days. You got to get the me, me, oh, me, me. Get, get the pipes get the working. legs back under me. All right. Here we go.